0: Good morning. Once again, and Happy New Year to those that I haven't said Happy New Year's to yet. What's the protocol on that, by the way? Yeah, how long do I say Happy New Year's? Do we just keep going? No, oh, got to stop. You got to stop somewhere, right? All right. Um, <clears throat> if you look in your bulletins, you have outlines from last week. I gave you a handout last week, and uh, and that's the handout that we went over. I had you write. These notes because we had a well, we had some uh, technical difficulty, and um, okay where am I at here? Okay, anyways, um, and and very quickly just to go over it again, <coughs> I want to give you uh, just the uh, uh, the information. I, you know, I, I don't have one with me. I, I should have let me open it up here. I think I have one. here. Oh, thank you. That that makes it work out really well. Works out a lot better that one. And, and just to kind of review. What we talked about last week, and, and uh, we kind of went off script a little bit. And uh, oh, okay, got both of them All right. Kind of went off script a little bit, only because I wanted to uh, go over what it is that Paul is talking about. As I mentioned, we don't know exactly what Paul or who Paul was talking about or to whom. We do know that uh, he, had, um, he had he had he had a group of people that were were not only um, working with him or working against him. But it was a group of people that were introducing these false doctrines, this other information. And we read it last week, and uh, it was from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 19. I kind of went over that. The The week before that, for New Year's, I said, you know, we want to be a healthy church. And the re, the way to become a healthy church is to, number one, understand what it is that Christ wants from us. So before we went into uh, what we're going to go into today, I wanted to share with you the, uh, the what Paul was dealing with, what he was talking about, what he was... Confronting, and he was confronting these theories, these philosophies, these uh, traditions, and all these other things. He was, he was. Approaching these from a very far distant land. He was in Rome and he was in prison. And all he knows is what he's heard from the pastor of that church on Colossus. Now, there were three cities in that area and they were all being affected. And so, um, what Paul did is he says, you know, I want you to read this to the people in Colossus. The the Colossians have to hear this, then send it over to the Laodiceans. Laodicea was the city that is one of the seven churches. That Jesus Christ talks to at the end in the Book of Revelation, Uh, and so, and then there was another one. um, There was um, Hierapolis was another city. It's these tri cities that were in that area. And so what Paul is dealing with, we don't know who they are, we don't know exactly what the religion was, but he, he gives us these seven things that he starts to deal with in these verses that we're going to be going through in the next few weeks. And once again, in the handout that we, taught, we should have handed out last week, No Additions to Christ, they wanted to introduce a new philosophy. They wanted to introduce a system of astrology. They wanted to impose circumcision. In other words, go back to tradition, do things in the way that we used to do them, because if you want to be saved genuinely saved then this is what you must do now please don't misunderstand me um with the exception of astrology philosophy in and of itself i mean it's it's good to philosophize some of you have this analytical mind that can reason things out and and put things together philosophy in itself is not a bad thing i mean you know in essence what we do as we go through the bible we are doing theology uh, the love of God, uh, and and we're we're studying what God who God is, but Philo or philosophy is the love of philosophy, where that it just over overtakes a person and they stray away from God's word, and this is what was happening to Paul and to the, not to Paul, but to the people in Coloss, and and so philosophy and um, you know circumcision or the traditions, again, in and of themselves, I mean there are a lot of people that still follow some of these Jewish traditions. We celebrate what we call Seder. Uh, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And we do that not because we want to follow strictly the laws of the Jewish people, but we do so in order to be able to show where the Lord's Supper comes from. Now, again, what they were trying, what they were putting on the people was, yes, Christ died on the cross for you, but in order for you to be fully saved, you have to follow these things as well. So in other words, it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ plus the cross was not sufficient, basically, is what they're saying. What Jesus Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. Therefore, you have to follow these seven things that we have here. They wanted to impose uh, circumcision. They wanted to incorporate rules and regulations. I kind of went over that just a little bit. Again, food and drink, with uh, or regard with the festival, or new moons, or Sabbath, you know, and again, the diets that people have nowadays, I mean, they're great. Everybody has a different diet. People are doing certain things. But, in that, and that's okay. However, when they become a standard, or they become a uh, Almost a, you have to do this in order to follow with the laws of state of the, and the Jewish people in order to be saved. The back of your outline, number five, they wanted to include the practice of asceticism. Asceticism is basically just, you know, doing without. It is the severe self-discipline, avoidance of all forms of pleasures. And there are a lot of people that just don't want to have anything to do with the world. And a lot of people that discipline themselves. They discipline their bodies. And that's great. That's good. Uh, some people are very health conscious in that way. And that's all right. The problem is, is that when you start adding this, to Christ, then it becomes a problem. This is what was going on with Paul. They wanted to inspire the worship of angels. Now, angelology, we'll, we'll get into that when we get to that point. Angelology is, is number one, first of all, I, you know, and I'm going to share with you how this is. It's demonic, to worship anything other than Jesus Christ. Now, angels appear, and I'm not saying that there aren't any angels. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, we are to be, the Bible says, to be kind to everyone because we, we never know when we're entertaining angels. But God uses them as messengers. They're not objects of worship. And there are a lot of people that worship angels. And they also wanted to involve extra revelation and visions. Uh, they were puffed up without reason by their sensual minds. In other words, they were not holding fast to the head. Jesus Christ is the head. And that's all we need. And they were receiving these visions and these dreams. And they were trying to incorporate them within the study of Christ. Yes, died on the cross. However, unless you have these visions or this special connection with the spiritual realm, then there's something wrong with you. And beloved, that is basically uh, well. And I took this from William Barclay's uh, commentary, and I added a few myself. So, so, but anyways, um, just just an outline, just a handout, so that you can have it with you as. You had the last one when we talked about uh, what's Gnosticism and what's Judaism. So you can have something to refer back to when we're talking about this. Because from this point forward, we're just going to address the doctors. We're gonna, not going to address the people that we're putting this on. We don't know who they are. We don't know what sect they were. Maybe they were Gnostics. Maybe they were uh, of the Essene tribe, uh, the Qumran tribe tribe, you know, where John the Baptist came from. It kind of fits where he was from and, and his characteristics. But what we're going to talk about today is, is how to and, and, and how to keep this healthy church and starting with you and with us. Number one, the first thing that Paul talks to us about is in verse 6, is we need to walk in Christ. We need to walk in Christ. Now Paul says, <clears throat> he's, we've talked about walking in Christ several times already. But in verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is your lifestyle. This is who you say you are. If you, if you, if you talk the talk, you need to walk the talk. You know, you've heard that before. The problem with a lot of Christians is they live an incongruent lifestyle. They say they believe, but they don't act like they believe. They say that they love Jesus, but they don't act like they love Jesus. And it causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of angst in people's lives because they know that they're not walking the walk and walking the talk that they say they are. I believe in Jesus. I love God. I I trust him with all my life, you know, but... You know, I just can't give. I just can't give this tithe, this 10%, or or just, I can't give because, well, what what happens with everything else? I trust him, but, you know, I want to follow you, Lord, but, it's kind of like, but first type of mentality, and Jesus is talking to the disciples that want to follow him, and they all say, you know, we want to follow you, Jesus, we really do, but first, (laughs) you know, when when you walk in Christ, you can't have a but first, it's either Christ or not. You know, it doesn't matter where you put him at. If he's not first, he's not first. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And Paul is telling them, look, you guys are committed to Christ and you need to follow him. You need to walk in him. He tells the people, he tells them earlier in verse 10 of chapter one, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're going to see a verse here in just a little bit in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, where Paul is saying, or excuse me, the writer to the Hebrews, some people think it's Paul. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, you know, you you should be eating meat. You're still on milk. But by now you should be teachers. As long as you guys have been coming to church and as long as you guys have been connected, you should be teaching the people instead of just drinking the milk and drinking the milk. Let's get away from that and let's get into it. And, and the challenge that has been going on just recently, and I, and I thank God for those that have committed themselves to to learn a little bit more. And we're going through this this Bible study class and the fundamentals of the faith. And, and it is a challenge, and it needs to be challenged. It should be difficult. It should be challenging, you know, because if it's already stuff that you know, then you know it's it's not going to be challenging. And so I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna I'm gonna but you know, there is no right or wrong answers. The the point is is that you're wanting to learn, you're desiring to go, and you're desiring to walk in the in the walk that Christ has called us to. And for some of us, unfortunately, we grew up in churches that said, oh, just come to church and you'll be good. Just believe and you'll be all right. Just raise your hand and say this prayer and you're saved. And never was there repentance preached. Never was there uh, anything else the, of a changed life. It was, okay, you made your commitment. You're once saved, always saved, theology. And uh, it, and people never changed. And it's caused a big black eye on the church. You know, uh, being a Christian in the first century, was, was a change. You know, it, it's free to be a Christian. You just join, you know, but, but it should change you. It's like the military in the army. The army is free. You can join, you know. I mean, of course, you got to go through all kinds of stuff, but most of the time they take anybody. Heck, they took me. <laughs> they took me. They'll take you. They'll take anybody. Maybe not anymore, you know, but, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's the way the army is. The military is. They'll, they'll take you. However, there are certain consequences. You give up your freedom. You're no longer home for the holidays. You know, it was real sad when my mom passed away. Our couple of her grandkids, great-grandkids had just joined the, the, the Air Force, and they wanted to come home. They were only two weeks into it, They were only, and they wouldn't let them come home. No, this is the commitment you made. Nothing else matters except the military. You lose your family, you lose your friends, you lose your freedom, and, and to sometimes you might even lose your life. You see, when people join the military, they do, they do so with this desire to protect and to serve and to care for this nation. And, and some people do it for other reasons, of course. They want to do it for the benefits, for schooling and whatnot. But when you join, you join. The same thing is with Christianity. When you cross that line, beloved, all of a sudden everything changes. You got to walk the walk. Walk that talk. Jesus says, you know, I'm going to tell you something. You know, anyone that comes after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, the cross is unforgiving. The cross demands only one thing and one thing only. It demands death. The cross is not something that you hang on your neck or in your uh, on your rear view mirror or post it up on your walls. The cross for the first century believers always knew and understood that the cross was challenging and it was going to take you. There was no ways about it when you were crucified and when they when they talk about jesus christ being crucified in the bible and, and they say that he was crucified they don't they don't go and they don't describe the crucifixion as some of you have probably seen on the uh the passion of the christ by mel gibson as if you haven't seen it you'll see how a crucifixion was done and they were done daily and there were hundreds, if not thousands, of crucifixions done in the time of Jesus Christ. It is estimated that there were, in his ministry, from three uh, three and a half years, it estimated about over thirty thousand crucifixions were done in the Middle East. It is estimated that somewhere, when Jesus Christ, and we don't have this recorded in the Bible, but you know our outside sources, external sources, tell us that there were at least uh, there were thirty two hundred people crucified at one time in in uh, Jerusalem because they went up against Rome and Jesus was probably around 15 or 16 years old and so these crucified bodies were everywhere crucifixion was a way of life and it was there to show you you do not go up against the roman government and so when they said they're going to crucify him it's it just like what everybody knew they understood they they they, they they've seen it time and time again, and some of them even said, yeah, that guy guy deserves the crucifixion. It's about time they caught him. It's about time he's hanging out in public, made a public public, uh, spectacle of. It's about time that that happens. The cross never compromises. It is final. It is not uh, something to be gloried about. Oh, the old rugged cross where my dearest and best was slain for a sinner like me. And I cherish that old rugged cross, that old, ugly, blood-stained cross. I cherish it because he died for me on that cross. You see, when we say we're Christians, when we walk across that line, there is death to self. Jesus said, anyone who comes after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. As a matter of fact, he went on to tell some of the disciples, look, if you don't hate your mother, your father, what? What? your brothers, your sister, your children, if you don't hate them and love me more, then you cannot be my disciple. You cannot follow me. There's no way that I'm going to let you, you're not going to be able to because your mind is going to be divided and you need to walk in Christ. This has to be your lifestyle. This has to be your life. You know, beloved, I know it's a crude and very dark-sounding message, but that is the message of the cross has always been and always will be, and I don't know how or where we lost the significance of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We've made it easy believism. Just raise your hand. That's it. Yeah, just raise your hand. Pray this prayer. That's all. Yeah. Here, I'll even give you a Bible with your date on it, and when you did so, this is your spiritual birthday. You're going to heaven. Oh, great. What do I do now? Just come to church? Just come to church. That's it. Yeah, all right. I can do that. What about my lifestyle? Well, you know, God doesn't like that kind of stuff. But, you know, you're a work in progress. You know, God doesn't like, uh, you know, but God's going to bless you. But I'm living in sin. That's yeah, okay. Because God's going to bless you anyways. He loves you. you. He died on the cross. Remember, for God so loved the world. Remember that. And somehow, somewhere in the translation, it has gotten lost to where people can just come to church and feel okay. Because when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Beloved. And unfortunately, that's not the way it works. I need to walk in Christ. My lifestyle has to be different. It has to change. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, you know, if you want to turn there with me, Galatians, Galatians is a little bit toward the front of the book, away from Colossians. You know, you'll you'll get to Philippians and then Ephesians, and then Galatians is right before that. Galatians chapter 5, you know, Paul is talking about Uh, that Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking about the the cross. He's talking about the law. And he says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk by the Spirit. The, The biggest problem that you and I have is our flesh. And we, and when we don't walk by the Spirit, guess what? The flesh takes over, and the flesh takes what it wants. And we allow our flesh to go wild, and it'll take whatever it wants. Yeah, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, and I'm forgiven. It's okay, because I can take whatever I want. And Paul says, don't do that. He says, don't gratify the desires of the flesh. How do I do that? How do I become a, a, a healthy church? How do I become a, a very healthy and, and, and prosperous Christian in this new year? walk by the Spirit. Because when you have the Spirit in your mind and you're constantly thinking about the Word of God and things that you know are wrong for you come up, you're able to evaluate. We're going to talk about that right now. You're able to evaluate, you know, this is just not right. And you know this instinctively. You know, we have been placed, there's been a moral compass placed in all humanity. I think some of the most, I think some of the most, best, some of the best people in the world are atheists. They don't believe in God. But you know what? They are moral. They know that they shouldn't lie. They know that they shouldn't kill. And they're not going to have an affair with their their friends or uh, against their wives. They're not going to do those things. They're not going to steal. You know, because they know that those things are wrong. Instinctively, everybody has this moral compass. And that's God has placed it in us. And, And people around us, they think, well, I'm good. I'm all right. I don't need God. I don't need church. I don't need a pastor yelling at me, telling me what to do and the problem is, is that our sin our flesh is is hungry and it craves until we crucify the flesh paul says i no longer live it's christ who lives in me i have crucified myself to him i've gotten rid of the flesh and paul still dealt with these things and he dealt with the sin but the more that he dealt with it the more that he depended on the spirit when he says this beloved but i say walk by the spirit And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And he knows this. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's what they do. Verse 19. Or 18, excuse me. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And once again, it's evident. You know this. I don't have to spell it out for you. I don't have to tell you what the works of the flesh are, but he spells them out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Anything you put in front of God is idolatry. Not just idols. Not just, uh, you know, whatever you want to put. Anything. Either your work, your family. A lot of people have told me before, you know what, my children are number one. They are number one. Guess what? You just made an idol out of them. And you know what God does with idols? He destroys them. When you put anything in front of God, especially if you call yourself a Christian, you put anything in front of God, it's idolatry. My wife is my wife, and I worship her and her only, and nobody else is going to get in the way, and only her. And if my wife wants to do something on Sunday, if my kids want to do something on Sunday, I am fulfilling their wishes. I don't care what the church says, the pastor says, or the Bible says. They are number one in my life. You just made idols of them. Anything you put before God is an idol, and God hates idols. Idolatry, sorcery—the word sorcery that is used here is uh, the word that we, we, we get our Greek word uh, pharmacy (pharmakia), drug-induced, uh, mind-altering drugs or alcohol or whatever the case may be. You see, when you walk by the when you walk by the flesh, these are some of the things that the flesh causes you to do because the whole world is walking by the flesh and and, and the world is is showing you you wait till the super bowl sunday you're going to get pounded with commercials you're probably getting pounded with commercials now and they're telling you what to buy and what to have and what to because that's the flesh they know how to operate the flesh the desires Paul says walk by the spirit jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissension divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things Like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not walking by the Spirit. Only the people that have the Spirit can walk by the Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you can do this. And here, let me just give you the the upside on this. He goes on to say in verse uh, uh, 21. I'm sorry, or is it at 22? But, he says, but, and I, I like that. I like the way Paul says, okay, this is the things that people are going through. Some of you have gone through all this stuff already before. You are now a new believer. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. So now you ought to walk as those that are new creations. And in verse 20, 22, it spells it out. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control against such things there is no awe. When you walk by the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, you'll experience love like you've never experienced before. You'll have this love that God gives you that surpasses anything that you can ever think of. And not only do you get the love, but you are also able to love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, in spite of what's going on in the world, in spite of what's going on in your life. You know, I, I've, I've never experienced that kind of joy before in the circumstances that I've been in in the last few weeks. And I'm realizing, people say, are you sure you're all right? I says, well, no, of course not. You know, I mean, it, it's difficult, you know, going through these things, especially when those little things that come up. And I, and I remember, and well, some of you know, I mean, uh, you know, Mercedes will tell you, some of you know, Richard will tell you, and, you know, Eileen will tell you, you, know, you guys, that you've lost your parents, and you'll know, and just these little things that come up. But, but you know, the, the Holy Spirit has caused me to have joy in spite of all that. I'm not happy that she's gone. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. But I can have joy in spite of all those things. Love, joy, and a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, a lot of people pray for the fourth one, patience. Oh, I want patience. I want patience. Well, before you can have patience, number one, you got to have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has got to be, that's the fruit. And you notice here he says it's the fruit, singular, not plural, fruits. It's not a bowl of fruit that you can come up every day and say, okay, which one do I want today? I'll take patience. I need patience. I need patience. What happened to the patience? I'm sorry, but I ran out. (laughs) I ran out of patience. No, it's a progressive thing. You learn how to love the unlovable. You have joy in the worst of situations. You have peace in spite of what's going on. And then because you have love, joy, peace, you can have patience. You can have patience. Because nothing else matters. You know, God loves me. I love people. I love. The, I love even the ones that are cutting in front of me. You know, I stop shaking my fist at them, and some of you use another finger. You know, fist. And uh, I'm going to stop doing that because it's not. It's yeah, it's not worth it. You know, my neighbor was was killed because of road rage. He got mad. He got mad and went after somebody, and they went after him and they, they killed him. It happens all the time. It does. I just you know somebody cuts in front of me and wants to cause problems. What I do is I stop. I pull over. I will wait. They pull over too, and I, I pull over even longer. I, I'm not in a, I'm not in that much of a hurry. <laughs> I am in a hurry, but I'm not gonna. I just pull over, take another street. You know, I mean, let them have it, because I have patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, when you have that kind of the spirit is inside of you, and he, and he's showing you love. And he's showing you, you know, peace, patience, kindness, and, and, and goodness comes out of that. Gentleness. And, and you'll be able to handle any situation. Walk in Christ, Paul says. As a matter of fact, John says in 1 John two six, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way, same way in which he does. And, and, and so, uh, I'm going to pass the next, next verse. Let me go to number two. Number two, how do I keep a healthy church? How do I, how am I keeping myself in line with God? How am I going to stay away from all these different things that Paul is talking about? Well, he says, number one, walk in Christ. When you're walking in Christ, you'll be able to see the false teachings that come up. Number two, I need to mature in Christ. Now it's kind of written wrong in your, in your outlines because I changed it at the last minute. So please uh, make the adjustments there. I need to mature in Christ. I need to mature in Christ. I had in there, I need to grow up in Christ. But anyways, I need to mature in Christ. Verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, when, when we are just thankful for all things. But that's where maturity comes from. You know, you can be grateful and thankful for anything. A mature person can say, You know what? I can be thankful. The people that are constantly in the negative, constantly in the desire, in the in the in the need or the wants of other people, they're not thankful for what they have. They're not thankful for what God's given them. They're not thankful for how they've been blessed. And they're constantly looking over the shoulder and looking at the people on the other side of the fence, how their grass is greener. Yes, their grass is greener, but they have to cut it as well. They still got to cut the grass and take care of things. And if we're not thankful for what we have. We're not, we're not thankful for what God has given us. Yes, that's a sign of immaturity. That's a big sign of immaturity. We talked about this last week, rooted and built up, stuck into the ground next to the river and just re- receiving the nutrients that the, the ground gives us. All this all, all this rooted and, and, uh, and, and just kind of built up, rooted, the roots are down deep. And in the storm that we just had, we've seen a lot of trees topple over. You know why? Because their roots weren't dug deep. You see a lot of so-called believers that seem to fall away or topple over because their roots are not dug deep. 1 Peter 2, 1-3 says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If needed, you have ta- you have have ta- if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you guys tasted that God is good? Amen? How many of you have tasted that God is good? Just say amen. Right? I mean, He is good. And, and you know, when I focus on myself and my ungratefulness, then nothing seems to happen. When I focus on God and know that He is good and I'm thankful for what I have, that's maturity. You grow up in maturity. In 2 Peter 3.18, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I am just so excited on how people want to grow and know more. And, and sometimes it's, it seems like it's way over your head. Beloved, you get it. I know you'll get it. Because we'll go over it and over it and over it. We'll go over it di- during Bible study. We'll go over it during the Sunday sermons. And I'll, and I'll talk to you about them. And you'll be challenged to be able to, to evaluate your life in such a way. And then Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner. We've already gone over that verse. <clears throat> Let me jump over to uh, point number three. Back your outlines. I need to evaluate everything in Christ. I need to evaluate everything in Christ. Our problem is that we evaluate everything according to what other people say, or other people do, or what other people have. Paul says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Here's the part that Paul is talking about. Okay, here's the doctrines. Here are the doctrines that are starting to come up that, that are being taught in the church. Philosophy, number one, the love of the love of wisdom. Uh you know, so, Sophia is wisdom. So the love of wisdom is philosophy, philo, love. And what, what Paul is talking about, there's people that have just gotten so involved in philosophy, and they philosophize all day long, and they, they reason things out, and they, they try to come to an end in some sort of higher enlightenment. But when people start with people, when you start with yourself, in your in me myself and i the unholy trinity when i start with me when man starts with man he ends up anywhere he wants to end up it's like some of the documentaries that you'll see on tv or the the discovery channels they'll come out and they want to you know they want to promote some sort of idea or thought or something and they always begin by imagine if or what if and when you start with what if and anything goes But what does the Bible say? I need to evaluate everything in Christ. In Christ alone, my cornerstone. In Him, I I will be found. He is my solid rock. He is the one I'm going to base everything on. Philosophy is good. We can use it to discover and to, you, you know, sometimes you have to kind of look at what the Bible says, but how does that make sense? Well, let's look at what Paul said over here in Galatians. Let's look at, see what Paul said in Ephesians. And I kind of take you to those places from time to time and, and kind of show you, okay, this is, this is the, the, the philosophical, the reasonable path that Paul has taken. Paul was a philosopher. He was, he was one of the brightest minds of all time. He had everything together. His name was Saul. He was trained in the finest schools. He was brought up to be the greatest um, Pharisee. He knew the law, the Torah, backwards and forwards. He knew every jot and tittle. He knew exactly what it all meant, or so he thought, until Jesus Christ came and he he had an encounter with Jesus. And then all the scriptures were open to him, and he sees it all unfold before him in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus trained Paul for three years. And he trained them in the desert. We don't know exactly what took place in the desert, but we know that he was in the desert for three years. We don't know exactly what it was that he learned, but we know that he learned from Jesus. There's things that he says to the people in 1 Corinthians, specifically the the chapter that I use when we do the Lord's Supper. And he says, and like I received from the Lord, and he's talking about, you know, take the bread, take the cup. And just like I received from the Lord, And the problem is is that Colossians is considered to be, excuse me, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is considered to be the first manuscript or the first book that was written prior to the Gospels. And Paul wasn't there at the upper room. And the Gospel message hadn't been proclaimed as such all over the world, but Paul is saying, look, this this is what I received from Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it and gave thanks. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. This is my body. This and, and and he's received something from Christ that has not yet been in print. And the only way he could have received it is through the training that he received from Jesus Christ. Evaluate everything in Christ. And you can't do that unless you know Jesus. When people ask me about the Bible, where do I start? I always say, start in the book of John. Start in the book of John. And, and then once you read the book of John, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John again. And I've been asked, why John? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Because, first of all, you're calling yourself a Christian. Christ-like. Christianos is the Greek word. You're like Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a derogatory term. You're like that little guy. You're, you're, like that guy, that, that little, you guys are little Christs. You know, like the guy that was pinned up on that cross. <laughs> you guys, you guys are, that's just idiotic. That's stupid that you guys are like Christianos. You know, and that's the way it was intended. But, If you call yourself a Christian, the best thing to know is what is Christ? Who is Christ? What did he do? What did he say? Read the book of John. John is separate from the other three Gospels. It's a whole different writing style. But read John. Go and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then read John again. Get to know your Savior. The things that he says, do them. The things that he says not to do, don't do them. Get to know who Jesus Christ is. How can you evaluate what Jesus Christ said or done? I mean, I just mentioned to you a couple of verses a little while ago about how when Jesus says, you know, if you don't uh, anyone who who wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. And I say that to some people, they kind of look like, whoa, what does that mean? You know, it's like they've never heard that before. Did you know that Jesus said you need to hate your mother, your father? I'm not going to hate my mother and father. Well, he's telling you that you're not worthy of following him. And basically, it's not a matter of hating like this anger, this hate, but it's loving Jesus more than anything else. That distinction was made. You know? Uh, And and there's many other things that Jesus says. Well, of course, God says, honor your father and your mother. How am I supposed to hate my parents if God says, love my parents or honor them? you got to see what Jesus Christ is talking about. He's talking about a commitment. He's talking about a desire to follow Him. You're going to follow Him? Guess what? There are going to be people in your life. They're going to say, you know what? You're just too radical. You're just too crazy. What? You're going to go to church on Christmas? Really? Miss out on the Christmas party that we're having here. You're going to go to church on Sunday, you know, Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. I'm out. All the family's getting together. You know what? I want to go worship my Lord. I want to serve my Lord. Yeah, but what about us? You know, I'll get to you guys later. You know, maybe by the time I get back, you guys will be all drunk and I don't have to stay here that long. I don't know. At least save me some food. (laughs) You know, what about us? Well, you know what? Jesus Christ is first. You make a distinction, you make it real. And this is what Jesus Christ is talking about. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Okay? A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Tim, Paul's telling Timothy, you know, work on God's word. At that time, all they had was the Old Testament. You know, handle it, read it. Be a worker. Work for it. It's going to be hard work. You might not understand it all. I'm here to help you, Timothy. I'm here to guide you and direct you. Just let me know what you need, and I will lead you in that way. Timothy was a very young preacher. He was the pastor of Ephesus. He was very young, and and, and he had a lot of stress on his life because people that were older than him were coming in with all these false doctrines, and he didn't know what to do, and he calls Paul. Actually, he writes Paul a letter, and months later, he gets a response. And in the meanwhile, Timothy is trying to handle this whole thing situation that Paul had left them with, and it is believed that Timothy might have had uh, ulcers or stomach problems because Paul tells him, "Hey, look for that problem you told me about your stomach. Drink a little bit of wine; it'll calm you down." He says, "You know, it's it's a medicinal thing, not not to go out and get drunk. Please don't get me wrong, but they used it for medicinal purposes to calm the stomach, calm the nerves." And so Timothy was very high strung he was young he was uh, inexperienced and these older men these philosophies and doctrines and teachings that were coming in but he held his ground paul says don't let anybody look down on your youth because you got the word of god fan in the flame that spirit that i gave to you when i laid my hands on you that holy spirit that came upon you and led you to do what it you're doing study show yourself approved a workman that does not need to be ashamed our next verse is our memory verse for the class. How many of you guys know this already? All Scripture is God-breathed. Say that with me. 2 Timothy say 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed. Say that with me. 2 Timothy 3.16. All, okay, all Scripture is breathed out by God. I, I was reading the, the uh, King James Version. I'm sorry. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Once again, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. See, you already got that part memorized. It's very simple. 2 Timothy 3.16 And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. You know, it is profitable. What's profitable? You get a return. You you know, when you invest in something, you always get a return, a profit that comes back. Paul is saying that's what the Word of God does. When you dive into it, when you when you understand it, and you read it, it's profitable because it always comes back, never comes back void. And you use God's Word to teach other people, look, this is what I've learned. You can't teach people. Most people are teaching you from the world. You need to teach people from the Word. Yeah, you know, maybe that's what happens. Maybe, you know, people believe that they die and they go to heaven and come back and and give you a story and write a book, make a movie, make a bunch of money. Maybe that's true, but here's what the word says. You know, yeah, maybe people look at angels, they've seen angels and angels have have displayed their wings before them and, and have hugged them and have been able to encourage them and lead them, but this is what the word says. You know, maybe some people are telling you that they're getting revelations from God and visions and dreams, but this is what the word says. You know, and, and unless you know what the Word says, you're going to fall for all these other dots. Wow, really? People are so caught up in the, the hypersensitive things, you know, the, the things that are very hypersensual. That, wow, I, I want to know that. Amen. James even stood up and said, amen. <laughs> no, you can't know that. Sit down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm messing with you. <clears throat> And and so unless you know you you can't teach anybody you're gonna fall for it's for reproof reproof is kind of like scolding uh, reprimanding admonishing in Spanish is regañando you know regañar you know how you, te regañaba verdad I mean she would like get into you now that, in, in Spanish it even sounds worse <laughs> you know, she would regañar you and she would just scold you because of the things that you should be doing things you shouldn't be doing the word of God scolds you and sets you straight. Oh, I don't, beloved. If I can just tell you how many times the Word of God has done this to me, I mean, I'd be here forever. And I pray that God's Word does the same thing to you, because He does it in loving discipline. The Book of Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter twelve tells us that you know that God disciplines us. He disciplines us like a father disciplines his children. Which father, which loving father, does not discipline his child? As a matter of fact. The writer of the Hebrews goes on to say, you know, if you're not getting disciplined, well, maybe you're not his kid. I'm not going to go discipline some of somebody else's children, though sometimes I've been tempted to. No. And, and Paul is talking about, and the Hebrew writer is talking about a discipline. He's not talking about a punishment. You see, punishment has been taken care of on the cross. It's there. God unleashed his punishment on Jesus Christ until the wrath of God was satisfied, as we just say right now. And God's wrath, his punishment, was unleashed upon Jesus for all the sins that we have done. Punishment has to do with the past. He did it in wrath, his anger. Punishment has to do with anger. We don't punish our children. We discipline them. Discipline is done in love. Discipline is done in correcting. Discipline is done for the future, not the past. See, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. And all our sin has been punished on the cross. And one day, for those that are not his, he will punish those that are left behind. One day, he has this place called hell. The Bible calls it a fiery pit where sulfur burns and doesn't stop burning. Many people make the mistake of saying that's where Satan is at. No, he's not. That's where people go. No, they don't. They, they, They tell you go to hell. No, you can't. They say demons are coming out of hell. That's a lie lie from hell. No, it's not. The Bible tells us in Revelation 19 and 20 that when Jesus Christ returns, first and foremost, what he's going to do, he's going to bind up Satan, send him into the bottomless pit. And then he's going to send the false prophet and the Antichrist to hell where there's nobody else at yet right now. That's where he's going to send them. After a thousand years, he's going to let Satan loose from the bottomless pit. And we don't know how long that is. And he's going to roam the world and try to convince a lot of people to follow him. And then he's going to take him and throw him into the fiery hell. And then comes the great white throne of judgment. And all those that were, were not followers of Jesus Christ, he's going to show them, this is why you end up with the rest of them. And one by one, they are cast into the fiery hell. Satan's not there yet. He's free to roam. He, he'll continue to be there, here, until that day. You see, and we don't know this unless you know your Bible. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for <laughs> for for correction, and training in righteousness. It's all done for righteousness, folks. It's not because God hates you. And, and I, I pray, Lord, I pray, you know, Father in heaven, that as you are disciplining my beloved brothers and sisters, that you do so with gentleness. And I don't know about you parents, but you know, when I had to discipline my children, I would literally tell them, this is, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Chachangla. That's why I use the chancla, because you know what? The hand started to hurt. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. But seriously, the first time I had to do this, I mean, it just brings a pain to you. You you don't want to see your child in in that kind of pain, but at the same time, you want to be able to correct them. Discipline them for the future, not punish them for the past. You want to discipline them in love, not punish them in anger. You want to discipline them so they can grow and go better, not punish them so they can stay where they are. See, a lot of parents have missed that. Punishment has been unleashed on so many kids that they are stuck. Even up into their 20s, 30s, 40s, 60 years old, they're stuck in that punishment that was done to them because of some abusive parent that didn't know the difference. Basically, they didn't have the love of God. But beloved, God says, you know what? In spite of all of that, you still have to honor your parents. You honor them because that's what the Bible teaches. You don't honor what they've done you honor them because of what God has done. He used them to bring you into this world. If for nothing else, you honor them for that. I, I honor you. Doesn't mean you have to trust them, live with them, you know, you forgive them and you move on. Don't hold on to that because that punishment was designed to keep you down. Take the Lord's discipline and let him build you up. You take that through his word. I got to touch on this, which I wasn't. But but you know, the Word of God, you got to know it. And it's, it's important to come and listen to the Word of God being taught and preached at church. But it's more important for you to read it yourself. I give you outlines. I give you handouts. I give you verses. I, I, you know, the best thing to do is go home and read these verses, follow up on some of the, you know, what is where did this verse come from? How does it, how does it all fit together in Second Timothy 3.16? What was Paul talking about? Why is he telling Timothy to do this? You know, what was going on during that time? There was an apostasy going on. People were falling away from the faith. There was a lot of, you know, bad teaching going on. And so Paul says to him, and when you go back and you look at that, it starts to make more sense. And then when you do that also, not only do you have it on your outline right here that you can take home, Right, You don't just have it like right here, but now you have it in your Bible, because when you go and you look at it in your Bible, say, okay, well, there it is, and then the next time you're looking for it, you remember it was on this side of the page of Galatians, oh, there it is, or when you're looking for it, you know, at another, you know, it was on this side of the page of the book of Revelation, oh, there it is, because you'll know, your mind will tell you more or less where it's at. Mark your Bible up, it's okay, scribble on it, take notes on it, it's okay, you can write in your Bible. As a matter of fact, I'd rather see you write on your Bible more than anything else. A lot of people keep them in their boxes. Bring them to church nice and clean and smooth. and The pages are still stuck together because they haven't been opened. Tear it up. Well, not literally, but get into it. Study to show yourself approved. A workman. You know, Jesus Christ is a prime example of that. If you know that Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, and in Matthew chapter four, and, and I'm going to t- touch on the lust, flesh, pride, of life, and the lust of the eye later. But in Matthew chapter four, he he's, he had fasted for forty days in the wilderness, no food. Satan shows up, and he looks at these rocks. Shows Jesus these rocks are kind of round. They look like cakes. I don't know if you've ever seen something like that. There's sometimes there's rocks that look like wow, that looks that looks like an ice cream cone. That looks like a loaf of bread. You know that you know. And when you're hungry, whoa, that can happen. And Satan knew that Jesus Christ could turn that rock into bread and jesus satan tells us, well you know i know you're hungry turn, go ahead nobody's nobody's watching there's nobody i ain't gonna tell nobody turn that rock into bread and eat satisfy yourself and jesus says to him but he answered him it is written beloved i'd like for you to say you know what it is written the word of god says it is written here's what god's word yeah i'm sure that's what the world says but here's what the word says it is is written and shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, this is the same temptation that he gave Eve. Oh, look at the fruit. Look how good it looks. And she saw, you know, that it was good to satisfy the flesh. That's the lust of the flesh. John tells us those are the three main sins, uh, the temptations that we get That every category of sin or temptation can fall under the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh. You want to feed your flesh. You want to feed it with to gratify it, to satisfy it with every single thing that's on this planet. Either with with clothes, with money, with food, with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, whatever the case may be, you want to satisfy your flesh. You got to crucify the flesh. And then... Second time he writes, he says, you know, I want you to here, let me take you someplace. Jesus takes him up to the top of the pinnacle of the temple, takes him way up there. He says, look, I know that if you jump off, I know that if you jump off that God will send his angels to protect you. Because doesn't that say, doesn't it say so in the Bible that he would not allow you? Doesn't David say that? That he would not allow you for your foot to be hurt? He will send 10,000 angels. I read that. You know this Jesus. You read that. One of the things that Satan, I guess, didn't know, is it? Not only did he read that, Jesus wrote that. And, and he was there. And Satan says, jump, come on, you can do it. And what does he say? Again, he says, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the last one, the lust of the eye. Oh, the things that you can see, the things that you can have, the things that everybody else has, the things that you wish that you had. You know what? You lust, this lust that you that to get for the eye is a lust that not only are you jealous, but not only do you want it, but you don't want them to have it. And this lust of the eye is so deep in the lives of many people that they destroy other people just so they can get what they have. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. You know what? I'm not going to argue with you. He was telling them, look at all these kingdoms, everything. You know what? Jesus Christ, you came onto this world. You came to die for this world. And you know what? I will give it to you. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to experience the suffering. You won't have to experience anything. It's yours. Oh, you know what? I surrender. Take it. It's yours. And the mission accomplished. Go back home. Jesus says, get away. You know what? It's just... Get away from me! You can tell Satan that. You know what, Satan? Just get away from me. Stop with this lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Stop it. It's the same temptation he used with Eve. She saw it's good, oh, and it was pleasurable to feed and to, and it was going to make her wise. Oh yeah, I want to be smart. The reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit, Eve, is because He knows that the moment that you take of it, you're going to know the difference between good and good and evil, just like He does. And he doesn't want you to be like that. What? I want to be like God. Yeah, take it. It'll make, you, it'll make you wise. Go ahead. I mean, it's just one night that you're going to sleep with that person. Nothing's going to happen. You know, it's so what if you have to lie to get to the top? You know, and get this job. So, you know, it's okay. I mean, nothing's going to happen. And Satan will even point back to Adam and Eve. See, nothing happened to them. God said they were going to die and they didn't. Say, nothing's going to happen. Well, it's because we have a gracious God. He didn't change his mind. You know the word of God. And it's really not that difficult to read. You see, in Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I can evaluate everything with the light. And this light, this lamp this natter that, that that is a, the Hebrew word here, this lamp is just this little clay pot with a little just a single wick inside of it and you've probably seen maybe in your home that you just flick on a light you know just some of you can walk around with your cell phone it's so pitch black dark in there you just turn your cell phone on and okay every, you can see everything. This is what God's word is. It's a lamp it's a lamp a lamp and this little lamp can show you. And you can evaluate, that's not right. I'm not going that way. I'm going to fall if I go that way. I'm going to go this way, down the stairs. If I go this way, I know I'm going to get hurt. Even though I can't see much. But it's also a light. And this is the huge spotlight that points to the direction of God and shows you this is the path that you need to take. It's a lamp and a light. That's the word of God. And that's how you evaluate. And Paul is saying, here's what you need to do. See to it that no one takes you captive. You know, this is a military term. They're gonna, they're gonna, you know what? When this philosophy hits your mind and you start getting engaged in it, it's gonna make sense to you. And all of a sudden you're gonna be buying into it and you're gonna be promoting it and it's gonna be within the church and the church is gonna, it's gonna sound good and it's gonna sound right. Because aren't we supposed to be kind to everybody? Aren't we supposed to be inclusive? I mean, didn't Jesus come, didn't Jesus Christ come to die for everyone? Therefore, we should let everyone in. This is not exclusive party; it's inclusive. Everybody should be here. Everybody should go to heaven. Come on! I don't care if you know your lifestyle. What your lifestyle is like, it doesn't matter what you believe. You know, just just come, and we'll love you. Jesus loves you just the way you are. We're gonna love the sinner. We're gonna hate the sin, but we're gonna love you. And that makes so much sense when you reason it out. When you look at scripture, you say, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus never left the person where he was at. The adulterous woman that was caught in adultery. The, the Pharisees came up to him and says, you know, this woman was caught in adultery. First thing Jesus looked at us was, where's the guy? <laughs> you know, how come just her? Well, never mind about the guy, but you know what? She was caught in adultery. And the Bible says, the word says that any woman that is caught in adultery must stone her. So what are we going to do? And they thought they had him tricked. They go, you know what? If he stones her, we'll report him to Herod. Hey, he killed this woman. And if he doesn't stone her, they will report him to the Pharisees. Hey, he didn't follow the law. What did Jesus do? He says, "All right, well, start right on the ground. Nobody knows what he wrote. All kinds of theories, but all we know is that one by one, every one of those people, they drop the rock. And he says to them, 'The first one of you, without sin, cast the stone.' All right, first one of you, cast the stone." And she was so ever grateful and thankful. She knew she was going to die. She was at the feet of the rabbi. Pharisees, they all brought her and she was going to die. And maybe she was set up as well. That's why they caught her. Some other Pharisee came in and probably did whatever it was the case. We don't know, but Jesus didn't leave her there. Okay. He says to her, woman, your sin is forgiven. Go and sin no more. Don't do it. Get out of that lifestyle of sin. She followed him. He healed Mary Magdalene, who had many demons upon her. She followed him as well. Every person that Jesus touched, he never left them alone. They followed him. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Anyone that would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. I I, want to follow you, Jesus, but first, let me go bury my mother and my father. You know, because once I bury them, once in other words, what he was saying, they weren't dead yet. Basically what he was saying, he was saying, you know what, Jesus, once they die, I get this inheritance and then I'll be able to follow you. I'll have money to live on. He says, you know, foxes have holes and birds in the air have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You know, this but first mentality is not going to work. You know, I I want to follow you, Jesus. Another guy says, but first let me go finish plowing my field because, you know, if I leave it, I I can come back later and it'll grow and, and I'll have something to live on. He says, you know what? Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of following me. Jesus called for commitment. He always called for commitment. A change of life. A change of life. Last thing I want to share with you is I need to depend. Ah, I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. In verses 9 and 10, Paul says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, or completed, is another word that goes there. Or you have been completed, who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been completed. You know, to say that I can't do this, I fell, I'm not strong enough, and, and you say, you know, I, I just don't have it. I'm not able to. I wish I can. I'm a work in progress. To say those words is basically calling God a liar. Because Paul is saying, no, you're complete. You're done. You're a new creation. You're, you're done. That's it. It's there. Just walk in him. Just walk in him. Just, just do it. Oh, but it's so hard. Yeah. You gotta study, you gotta study to show yourself approved, a workman. You gotta walk in him, and you're complete. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We read this in chapter one of verse nineteen and twenty. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And this word that became flesh, it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in verse 16 of, of John 1, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You committed your life to Christ, you've received grace upon grace. you received this fullness. You have His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. You are complete. You are complete. We want to be a faithful church this next year. Recognize and understand that I am complete. You're complete. And, and you know, it's it's kind of challenging sometimes because, you know, as a pastor, I don't necessarily know who has committed their life to Christ, who God is raising up. The evidence, part of the evidence is that you're here. You, you desire to know. You want to know. But the one thing that you can do is, is you you stand up and you say, you know, I, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to follow Christ. I've committed my life to Christ because Christ has committed His life to me. And there's nothing that you can do but just to recognize that He has called you out of this dark world. And the next thing you need to do is you need to be baptized. He wants you to be obedient. You need to obey. And the first commandment that Jesus Christ gave all of us is to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have a couple of people already ready to be baptized. We're waiting for it to cool or warm up a little bit because we do it outside in the tank. So we're just going to wait till it, the weather warms up and we're going to have some baptisms here pretty soon. And, and if any of you are desiring to be baptized, come talk to me because that is a huge evidence. Okay, I identify myself with Christ. It's not going to make you saved. You're going to do this because you are saved. Just like my wedding ring. My wedding ring doesn't make me married or unmarried if I take it off. My wedding ring, it signifies that I am married. It's a symbol. And that doesn't make me unmarried or married if I put it on or take it off. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It just symbolizes that you are a Christian. You are ready to die to yourself and be resurrected in Christ. See how beautiful that is? I am dying to myself and being resurrected in Christ. And that's the whole symbolism behind the baptism. The Lord's Supper, the same thing. This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ died for us. I'm remembering that body I, he shed his blood for me I'm remembering his blood and those are the and from there you grow and a lot of people have said I, I you know it just doesn't seem like I grow well have you been baptized have you done the first thing that he's asked you to do and it's not going to make you saved it's not going to make you any smarter it's not going to you know get you any more holier but it's an act of obedience you know an act of obedience is kind of like you know, you're, you're, you're driving down the road and, and the law says, you know, you can do 75 or maybe 80 and, and you, you obey the law, the speed limit. But if you break that, well, then you don't pay the consequences. You see, when God says to do something, we should just do it. And this is the first thing that he asks the believer to do. Let me ask you to stand. There's one more verse in your outline that I want to read out as we stand. Because as we look at the and recognize that we are complete, Paul says to the people in Ephesus, he says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell or make you complete in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer, my prayer for you is that you you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. My prayer is that you know how much Jesus Christ loves you. And I don't think we've learned yet how much he loves us. Because when we know that somebody loves us, there's nothing, nothing that holds us back from expressing that love to that person. And I pray that you can learn and know that Jesus Christ loves you. Because Lord, you, you display that on the cross. You displayed that in graphic, in a very graphic image. Your love, so profound, so deep, so high, so loved, and it surpasses anything that we've ever experienced. There is no greater love. There is no greater expression of love. When you said, I will die for you, you meant it, and you did. Lord, help us to understand that love and to fathom it, just to recognize it and to live according. Father, we thank you for this hour that you give us to worship and to love you. Lead us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right, may the Lord be with you. And uh, have a great week. And stay dry.